This is Karen Modokaitis, host of How She Really Does It, where inspiration and possibility meet. I believe there are many valuable lessons to be learned from other people's journeys. My lifelong quest has been to use inspirational success stories to motivate and empower others to achieve their personal best. How She Really Does It dives into the depths to truly understand what motivates people in order to help others realize their own personal potential and goals. This talk show is meant to inspire, empower, entertain, and be a resource for women. How She Really Does It provides an opportunity for women to learn so they can empower their own lives. We'd love to hear our listeners' comments about our shows or questions for upcoming guests. Email us by going to our website, www.howshereallydoesit.com, and click Contact to send us an email. Our past shows are available on our website or as podcasts from iTunes. Many of us believe we would enjoy having a trust fund or having someone else take care of our money. Or you may believe you have a limit on your earning potential. How about those of you who want to let go of something that is holding you back, a job, a belief, a fear? Today, we have Barbara Stanny, who is on a mission to motivate women to become financially empowered. She is the author of several books, including Prince Charming Isn't Coming, How Women Get Smart About Money, and Secrets of Six-Figure Women, Surprising Strategies to Up Your Earnings and Change Your Life. Welcome, Barbara. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. So let's first talk about your background. I love the title of, the, of your books. <laughs> You know, it's funny because my uh, editor at Penguin wanted to change the the title because she felt Prince Charming Isn't Coming sounded like a relationship book. <laughs> and you know something? It is. Uh-huh. Only it's about building a stronger relationship with ourselves and our money and our power. So you want to know my story? Yes. Okay, so I grew up wealthy. My father was the R of H&R Block, and the only advice he ever gave me about money was don't worry, because under that was the unspoken assumption there will always be a man to take care of you, and, and that was fine with me, because I didn't understand money. I just wanted to spend it, and I married a man who was a lawyer, then he went to work for Block, and then he became a financial advisor and financial planner. So you should perfect, be, right? Yeah, you're, you're set. I'm set. <laughs> But what I found out very early in our 15-year marriage is that he was a compulsive gambler. And over the course of our time together, he lost millions of my inheritance. And the insane part is every year I'd find out once, two, three times a year that he was gambling this money away. And I continued to let him manage it. He paid all the bills. He balanced my checkbook, he did the taxes, he did the investing, I just signed whatever he wanted me to sign, because that's how terrified and intimidated I was by anything to do with the finances. It wasn't until after our divorce, when I got tax bills for over a million dollars, for back taxes we didn't pay for illegal deals he got us in, my ex had left the country. I had, did not have a million dollars, not even close to it, and my father wouldn't lend me money. And that was the moment. That was the moment that I knew I had to get smart. And, and what I did, I mean, I, did, I didn't know how I was going to do it. I really didn't, because every time I'd look at anything financial, my eyes would glaze over, my brain would fog up. But I was so committed, and I really believe when you make a commitment, a down-to-your-toes kind of commitment, the universe revolves to help you reach your goal. And I was a journalist, and I was hired as a freelance writing project to interview women who were smart with money. And I have to tell you, those interviews changed my life in more ways than I could have expected. First of all, as I heard what it takes to go from being not smart to smart, it's like, well, no one ever told me this is how you do it. I I, I didn't realize the process involved. So I not only went out and got smart as those women, but I wrote my book, Prince Charming Isn't Coming, and I had this whole new career. The trouble with this whole new career is it was very successful, and I was traveling all around doing financial education for women. It was very exciting, but I wasn't making money. I just couldn't make it. So I decided, let me do for earnings what I did for managing money, and I interviewed 154 women who made six figures or more. And I want to tell you, I started making six figures before I even finished writing the book. And this was in the year 2000 when I, and I started teaching overcoming under earnings seminars just to see 
see if I could teach other people what I was learning from these women. And a couple years ago, I went back and interviewed hundreds of women who had been through that workshop and came out with my latest book, Overcoming Under Earning. So what I noticed, that all these interviews, whether it was about making money or managing it or both, is it wasn't what these women did. It was how they thought. And when I shifted my thinking, everything changed. So what I do, what my work is about, I talk about the outer work, the inner work, and the higher work of wealth. Because I really believe it doesn't take a lot of time to get smart. It's a lot simpler than you think. It's a lot simpler than I thought. <laughs> and it doesn't take a lot of money to create wealth. It's a matter of doing the outer work, which is the practical stuff, combined with the inner work, which is the psychological stuff, combined with the higher work, which is about using your money to do what you're here to do, to using this process to become more of who you are, using this to make a difference in the world. Well, and I think this is an important time to be t discussing this because with what's happening in the economy, with people losing their jobs. It's never been more important. Because a lot of times, I mean, and you talk about in your book, Secrets of Six-Figure Women, about, you know, letting go of the, the ledge. And right now, some people would say, this was said to me the other day about starting an own business, their own business. It was like, well, this is the worst time to start my own business because look at the economy. And what's your answer to that, Barbara? I have two, two answers to that. One's a global one and one's a more micro one. First of all, this crisis that is going on, this economic meltdown, has a lot of valuable messages for us. There's a lot to be learned. And that is that the problem that got us in this mess in the first place is people living, people spending more than they could afford, going into debt, and nobody paying attention. So the message for us is this is a perfect time to get our own financial house in order. This is the perfect time if we're in debt to start stop debting and start repaying. This is the perfect time to really... It's like the universe is shaking each of us. Wake up and get smart about money. Whether this is a good time to open a business or not, one of the things I've learned from the women I interviewed for Six Figure Women, I interviewed them at the year 2000. That was the mm -hmm. boom times. That was really the dot-com boom, right? Mm -hmm. So it was hard not to make money then. The fascinating thing, is I interviewed every single one of them two years later when the dot-com had gone bust. Mm -hmm. And I saw a big difference between those women, the way they were talking to me, and the way the under-earners spoke. These women, many of them had fallen on hard times. But instead of seeing the economy as a problem, instead of being negative, they saw everything as an opportunity. They used everything as an opportunity to regroup, to find the opportunity where others were seeing misery, where others were seeing closed doors. They looked for the open door. It's not a Pollyanna thinking. It's like I'm interviewing women who make millions now because that's what I want to do. And what I found, the more successful a woman is, the more she is not, it's not possible for her to see challenges, problems as anything other than opportunity. It's impossible. So it's the mindset that's so important. It is a mindset. I, I want to tell you that there was a woman I interviewed for my Six Figure Women book. She lived in Portland. And I did an Overcoming Under Earning workshop in Portland a few, weeks, a, few months, a few years ago. A few years ago. And I invited her to attend. This. And in less than an hour after the workshop started, she leaned over to me and whispered in my ear. She said, I don't get how these women think. They think so differently than I do. And that's the work that needs to be done. That's the shift that I think this whole crisis is calling for all of us to do. And what we're seeing is we're seeing a real paradigm shift 
in, in business, in the culture, in everything. We can no longer live the way we've been living. And I think the paradigm shift is a demand for women to step up to their plate and step into their power because we need to, we need to assume the leadership roles, not over men, but in partnership with men. And in order to do that means we must personally understand our finances. We must personally understand that money is not, it's not about money, it's about power. And this is forcing all of us, I hope, to step into our power and to step up to the plate and really become leaders. Well, and, and I thank you for that because, I mean, both of your books, because I, like, I have them both, um, they're both about just having power and making choices and, and that when you understand money and understand investing and, and saving and paying yourself, it's really not about the money. It's about the power of the choices that allows you to make. Exactly. I say financial success and financial independence is a rite of passage into our power. Because in order to become financially responsible and financially successful, it's a process, I've noticed, it's a process of shifting the way we think, shifting the way we behave. And it's not about the money. It's who we have to become to be financially successful. This is really a transformational process it, in, in every every shape, way, and form. And uh, I, I had a, I can't tell you how many women have come up to me who have changed their lives, who have gotten in touch with their money, who have gotten on top of their money, and who have said to me, I can't tell you, Barbara, I feel so powerful. One woman said to me, it's done more for than losing 20 pounds. <laughs> well, and because they're letting go of the fear that's holding them back. It's not about letting go of the fear. Okay. It's about not letting the fear stop them. Oh. This was really powerful for me. It's a small distinction, but it's very powerful. When I was interviewing high earners, as I'm interviewing these women who make millions, they're very confident, very, very confident. And I, I expected that. What I didn't expect is as we got deeper into the interview, how many of them, how all of them were struggling with fear, struggling with self-doubt, how the majority of them felt like frauds and were afraid others would find out, the biggest difference between them and me, because this is how I felt, the biggest difference between them and me is that they didn't let it stop them. They felt the fear, they felt the doubt, and did it anyway. Oh, so they're not letting it go. It's still there. In fact, what I say in my workshops and seminars and coaching, what I say to people when they're feeling the fear, I say, that is a great sign. Fear is not a sign you're going in the wrong direction. Ah, Fear is a sign you're going in the right direction because success in anything will always lies just outside your comfort zone. So fear to me is an indication that you, that I am truly, that we are truly going to the next level in our life. Otherwise, we'd be feeling comfortable. This is Karen Motokaitis of How She Really Does It, and I'm talking with Barbara Stanny. She's a woman financial empowerment expert. So it's a matter of taking that fear and moving past it. It's a matter of combining two things. One is willing to be afraid and do it anyway. And the other is valuing ourselves. I asked women, and I always still ask successful women, are you doing what you're doing for the money? 90% of them say no. No, I'm not, more than 90% say no, I'm not doing this for the money. I'm doing this for the passion, for the recognition, for the challenge, for the greater good, whatever. But at the same time, and this was critical for me to understand, at the same time, they all said, I damn well want to be well compensated because I'm worth it. And what I found when I went through and interviewed women who had been through my workshops, those that made the greatest were those that at some point in the workshop or soon after got what I call the click. And they use those words, something clicked. I got that I deserved more money for no other reason than I am worth it. So the willingness to be afraid and do it anyway 
and the understanding of your own value combine to make you unstoppable. But there's a third piece to that, too. Can I go into that? Yes, yes. The third piece I found that was so critical is when I interviewed women who had been through my Overcoming Under Earning workshops, I saw many of them had changed remarkably, but their income didn't change. Their relationship with their money didn't change. And what I realized, the key, was who they hung around with. There was this one woman uh, who had made such progress. She had written a book. She and her husband were out of debt. But she still wasn't managing or making the money she wanted to. And I said, what would your friends think? And she said, they'd freak out. They're all tree huggers. (laughs) (laughs) And here's the thing. High earners, women who have a higher net worth, who are responsible for their money, hang around with people who are, if not of like mind, who are supporting their path. Under earners tend to hang around with naysayers, with pessimists, with worry wards, with other under earners, mm-hmm. or they operate in isolation. So it's really critical who you hang around with because you become who you're with. You are your environment. The feedback you get from people, especially for women, because we are so relationship-oriented, and the world can be very challenging. We need to have those people who believe in us, who love us, who are supporting us, who are our role models, showing us it's possible. Of all the women that I interview for the show, that seems to be a constant theme with them. You know, it's about being positive, focusing on what their purpose is, what their intention is, and then ha- and having a women around them that are supportive of that dream. Not just women, men too. Men, men too, but and um, and that has seemed to be their key to their success and what they were doing. And you know, a lot of times the women that I talk with do things that are really out of the box. You know, very entrepreneurial. And um, here's what's often missing, though those women who are doing things out of the box, entrepreneurial, that they are totally passionate about, that they have all the support. What I found what's so often missing is a strong profit motive. Women have a hard time with that, don't they? Women have a very hard time with that. And what I found is that the women who were succeeding were very clear. They wanted to make money. Money was a good thing. They loved making money. Because it wasn't the money per se, it was what the money was, their applause, what they got, you know, the applause for succeeding. The money enabled them to live the life they want, but even more, the money allowed them to help other people they cared about, to help causes they cared about. So the profit motive, without a profit motive, so often our dreams never really, we never really prosper in making our dreams come true. And to me, that's a really critical component. So, Barbara, when you're working with these women, how do you get them to learn to value themselves and have this profit motive? It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a process. And the process is a process of unprogramming. Well, first of all, you have to realize how you've been programmed. So what I help women do is look at their attitudes, beliefs, and decisions they made. Very, usually very early on that are totally unconscious and totally irrational about themselves and money that most often came from their families and making new decisions. And uh, it's, it's easy, but it's a challenging process. But it's really that simple. I know for me, you know, I had this, I would, I'd go into this fog around me. I had my eyes would glaze over, my brain would fog up. I just couldn't get it no matter how hard I tried. And I wasn't stupid. I had a master's degree. I had my own business. And it wasn't until I went in therapy and I realized that a part of me was terrified that if I became financially responsible, financially independent, that no one, no man, my father or any other man would love me. Wow. I absolutely believed that. And I absolutely believed it was really bad to talk about money. So when I was going through all my crisis, I never told anybody. 
So getting to those old beliefs, those old decisions we made about money, understanding that that's certainly a piece of it. What's another piece? Uh, that's the inner work. The other piece is the outer work. As you lift the veil, the fog, as you lift the fog by understanding why you are keeping yourself either in under-earning or irresponsible mode or in vagueness around money or in fear around money, as you lift those veils, you need to be doing the outer work, which is understanding the difference between talking about understanding the technical nuts and bolts, which becomes exponentially easier when you've done that inner work. And it's getting clarity. It's, it's so much about getting clarity, getting clarity about your own financial situation, what you spend, what you save, what you owe, what you're worth. Simple, simple steps are, create so, such a powerful feeling. Well, because if you don't know those things, you, you're you not empowered. What happens if you don't know those things? You're right. You're not empowered. You're in fear. Yes. I know I have much less money now, much less than I did when I was much younger and had my inheritance intact. But I'm much more secure now because I understand what I have. Clarity is power. And what I want to encourage women, what I want to, my whole mission is to inspire and motivate and educate women to make financial decisions from a place of knowledge and not fear, ignorance, or habit. And so the work that I do, the work that I do is really, it's not so much about teaching about money, which I absolutely do, but it's about getting people past the resistance. And that's really where the work is, getting you past your resistance to becoming all you can be, to really, really living up to your potential, to making the big difference in the world that you were put here to make. And so, Barbara, is this how, what you've learned through your interviews with all these women through the years and then learning from the teachings that you do? I have learned it through my interviews and my own experience. Nothing I say came out of my, did I make up? Nothing. Uh-huh. I'm not that creative. But what I'm really, really good at is seeing the patterns and seeing the trends and seeing the themes in, every, in all the stories and then picking them out and applying them to my life and then teaching them to others as I refine it. And so... With a, with this with successful women, what are some of the other so-called secrets? Like, what are some of the strategies that our listeners could try to implement into their lives? Well, one is the first step, which actually isn't in my secrets, the Six Figure Women book, but I realized it when I and I put it in the Overcoming Under Earning book. I talk about it in secrets, but it really became clear to me as I was helping women who were under earners become high earners. And and that is the first step. People say, where do I start? You start by telling the truth. You start by telling the truth about what's not working. You start by really facing telling the truth about what's not working, the problems in your life. Because what most of us want to do, and problems could be anywhere from this kind of nagging feeling like, I'm just not happy what I do, to, oh my God, I can't pay the rent yet again. Mm-hmm. But see, problems have a purpose. What most of us want to do when we hit a problem is we want to sweep it under the rug or we want to just throw up our hands and say, that's just the way it is. But when you tell the truth without shame or blame, when you tell the truth, this is how much I am in debt. This is, I don't like my job. Something's not working in my relationship. When you tell the truth without even having a solution, it's a doorway. It's a doorway by, by just simply telling the truth. It's a doorway because on the other side of that problem is your power. On the other side, everything you have to do to solve that problem is what's going to get you to the next level in your life regarding money. 
So the first is to tell the truth about not, what's not working. I have a lot of exercises in my Overcoming Under Earning book to do that. And the second strategy. Now, you, telling the truth doesn't mean you have to have a pro, you have to have a solution. This is what's so powerful. What I've seen just by telling the truth. I'll give you an example. A year ago, January 2007, I gave a workshop, and I'll never forget this woman in, sitting in the back of the room. She was all huddled, all huddled over like it was freezing cold, which it wasn't. And she was terrified because she knew she would have to look at how much she was in debt, and she didn't want to. She knew she was in debt. She didn't know how much. And she was terrified, but she was determined to do it. Because the second is you make a decision. You make a decision, I want to make more money. I want to be responsible for my money. And committed it. Being any way else is not an option. And the third step is you have to stretch. You have to do what you're scared to do. And she knew her first stretch was to go home and look. I saw her exactly a year later. This was in New York. And I'm from Washington. But I was in New York, and I saw her, and I said, how's it going? She not only was out of debt, which was $20,000, but she was now making six figures. And the point of that is, when you tell the truth, things can change so quickly. Why is that? Because when you tell the truth, your brain starts looking for solution. When you tell the truth and you make a decision to change it, a committed decision, it's like a magnet. You start drawing coincidences to you. You start drawing synchronicities. I know you know how this works. You've probably done it in a thousand ways in your life. <laughs> yes. When you said, look, this isn't, I, I can't do this anymore. I don't know how I'm going to change, but I can't do this anymore. Or even, I'm buying this car. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it. And then all these coincidences start landing in your lap. It's like what I saw when I interviewed the women making six figures, women making seven figures I'm interviewing now. It's like they didn't have this full-blown plan in place. They simply did what came up next. And what the next steps often were in the form of coincidences that they could never have predicted. And those coincidences always, just outside their comfort zone. So you have to stretch. And the first thing that's going to happen when those coincidences come, especially if they're big opportunities, you're going to go into resistance. It's, it's the natural state of affair. It's a natural reaction to our human, to, to being human, that we don't want to change, we don't want to go into mm -hmm. the discomfort zone. But the key is to notice that resistance and to do it anyway, to not let it stop you, at least not for very long. Well, and that, that's, that's a common question that comes up just with our listenership and um, is, you know, we, we're in an area where we're in a university town. There's a lot of also state workers because we're close to the state capital. Where are you? Um, in, out, just right outside of Sacramento, Davis. So oh. in, UC, in UC Davis. So you have a, there's a lot of bureaucracy, you know, we, a lot of people who work for bureau, uh, bureaucracies and that have these, you know, the common comments, well, it's not great. It's not really what I want to do, but it's a guaranteed job. And in this climate right now, this is just what I need to do. And, and that, and that, that's a choice. And under earners always make the safe and secure choice. There, there's two kinds of games to play in the world of money. There's the under-earning game and the high-earning game. And basically, the decision you need to make is which game you're going to play. And I understand not everybody is willing to play the high-earner game. The under-earner game goes like this. The under-earner game is called not to lose. And the way you play this game is to stay safe, to look good, and be comfortable. And it works. But for people who have bigger dreams, for people who are willing stretch, for people who are willing, committed to going to the next level, that requires playing the high earner, high earner game. And the high earner game goes like this. You go as far as you can with all that you got, and when you fall back, you catch up and you keep going. It is that never taking no as an answer. It's that willing to stretch and fail and stretch and fail and stretch and fail and stretch and succeed. 
And that's risky for some people. Yes. And risk, smart women see risk as the opportunity to gain. Most people see risk as a sign they're going to lose. Yeah, and so not everyone is really willing to be uncomfortable. And I've seen myself go into resistance, big resistance. And and I know I'm there, and and sometimes it takes a while for me to get out of it. Sometimes I just need to hang safe for a bit. You're listening. But I know the the price I pay for being so-called comfortable is it winds up being very, very uncomfortable. You're listening to Corinne Modokaitis on How She Really Does It, and I'm talking with Barbara Stanny, author of Prince Charming Isn't Coming, How Women Get Smart About Money, and Secrets of Six-Figure Women's Surprising Strategies to Up Your Earnings and Change Your Life. And so, Barbara, I've known about you for a long time now. Actually, a, a, a long-ago guest, Jane Williams, who's a wealth manager down in the Bay Area, had recommended you for my really? show. Yeah, about 18 months ago, actually. And it's very interesting to talk about synchronicity, about how I finally, you know, because I had sent you an email uh, anyways, but how I finally, at this time that you are here at this time, it's just very interesting when we talk about synchronicity. But one of the things that I've always been fascinated with you is, you know, you were a trust fund baby and you talk about it in your book, uh, both books actually, but, um, and most people think, oh, how fortunate, you know, to have that cushion. And then you talk about some of the insecurities that come with that. But also the more inter- the the thing that I'm so fascinated with is you said that this whole thing started out of an assignment to to interview successful women, and now you have a company where you teach people teach people how to do this. And so my my question is: here was an, a, a freelance assignment that turned into a book, that turned into speaking engagements, that turned into seminars and workshops, that's turned into more books, that, you know, and, and coaching, and, and, you're, and you're an expert that the media goes after to ask questions to. At, when, when you talk about opportunities that arise and sometimes you're, you get really afraid of them, how did that affect you in your journey? Well, what I love doing is interviewing successful women to get the backstory. Mm-hmm. We don't often get the backstory. <laughs> and what happened when I went through this hell, which I would never want to go through again, but I'm glad I went through it. And I thank my cousin many times. And I got hired for this writing project. It, the writing project was turned down. It was a writing project for Doubleday. They wanted me to write a book, a proposal for Doubleday. Doubleday turned it down. Uh-huh. I got rejected, and that was terrifying for me. And I had to choose, did I want to go back and be a journalist, a freelance journalist, or was I ready to step into writing books? And I really felt so compelled by my mission, so compelled. It's like there's a saying that, that when, the, when the desire and your purpose get so strong, the fear becomes less important. And so I wrote a proposal, and I was turned down by 14 publishers, and the 15th one, three days later, said yes. And this is for Prince Charming, isn't it? For Prince Charming. So I don't think paths to success are easy. And if you're looking for an easy, but they are, they, they, they will strengthen you. They, they will make you better. I mean, I'm, I'm so much stronger and so much more powerful. And so loving what I'm doing. Well, and one of those, you know, each success builds upon the other to give you that additional confidence. Yeah, and and the key is when you when you're when you don't have a success. Like I'm writing a proposal for another book, uh-huh. and I just had Harper Collins, my editor, turn it down. I'm so used to publishers turning down my book <laughs> that didn't even bother me. In fact, I said, you know. I'm going to use this to take it higher. I'm going to use this to make it better. So after times of falling down and getting back up, you really toughen up, and you really learn to use those what some people would say is failures to make it even better. And how did you go from the transition of writing a book to having a business? It it evolved. You know, it's funny because... 
I was very scared to have a business. I didn't want a business. I was a writer. I just wanted to be a writer. Mm-hmm. But I was there were so many demands on my time, so many requests to speak, so many requests for products and services and all that that I wanted to provide. I wanted to. And so I went to a business coach, which I highly recommend because so many successful women use them. And I thought my fear as a business, I would lose myself in a business. I would lose my creativity. I would lose my freedom, which are both very important to me. So she had me create a vision statement in which I envisioned how I'd like my business to look, which was a team of like-minded people where I only do what I love doing, and they only do what they love doing, which is not what I love doing, and we all profit, that we are collaborators. And I've got that. I I did that vision statement in 2005, December. In March of 2006, I had two business partners, and an assistant. And it grew from there. Wow. And, and I, I know it sounds oh so simplistic, but I absolutely believe from my interviews, from my experience, the more clarity you have on what you want and the more it is aligned with who you are, your authentic self, the possibilities are endless and you don't have to figure out how it's going to happen. Well, and that's why I think your personal journey is so important because it gives it gives the listeners a very tangible um, view of what happened. Because when you talk about, you know, when you get clear and things do come in and the opportunities open, and it's also what you're looking for. Doesn't when when you have that vision statement, doesn't it also help you kind of, like I said before, clear through the clutter, kind of know where you're wanting to go. After I wrote Prince Charming, I really wanted to write another book because I love writing. That's my favorite thing. And I couldn't think of a book to write. And a few years later, my agent calls me. She said, I got a great idea for a book for you. This was in the year 2000. She said, why don't you interview women who are making a lot of money? Because there are more women now than ever before. And I hated the idea. <laughs> I imagine interviewing these aloof designer dress snobs, leagues above me, totally intimidating. Immediately, I saw my resistance. I saw my resistance, that if this is what I thought of successful women, how would I ever let myself become one? So I used that resistance as information because I, more than becoming financially successful, I wanted to become a role model. I wanted to impact millions of women and let them know they can be and do and have anything they want if they know how to do it. And so I was willing to go through my resistance because my vision and my mission were so strong. Does that answer your question? It, it does. And the thing that I think is so phenomenal is that what stops a lot of women a lot of times is, oh, well, there's already somebody out there doing this or they're doing this. And what I always try to encourage them is that you are you, you are unique, and you will bring something different in my book, Overcoming Under Earning, I have a list of 12 signs of resistance. And resistance is very subtle and very sneaky. When you realize when you one of the signs of resistance is, oh, they've already done it. That's just resistance of your fear to do it. That's just your resistance of being more, bigger and more powerful and becoming all you can be. And when I help women understand that resistance is normal, that resistance is natural, that there is a direct correlation between the amount of resistance to something and the amount of pleasure and power on the other side. Does that make sense? Mm There? No, I'm there. I'm I'm just contemplating. I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> I like to make you think. <laughs> There's a lot of information that's coming in, and and I'm supposed to be asking you questions. <laughs> well, what what's coming up for you? Um, no, I I do you do you argue with what I'm saying? I mean, it's fine. No, I am with what you're saying. Um, and and I and I so agree with it because, in you like naysayers and and then the and your secrets of um. 
six-figure women, you talk about the the people around you, and I think you call them well-wishers, and then what was the other one? Oh, the way-showers. The way-showers. And I have two. In my Overcoming Under-Earning book, I've divided it into four. But there are way-showers and true believers. And, you know, my, my background... I was a I was a swimmer for 15 years. I swam collegiately. I was a very accomplished swimmer, and I coached college for a long time. And so, when when I look at it from an athletic standpoint, this makes so much sense because you have to focus on what you believe can come. You can't focus on all the naysayers that are out there. In and, fact, one of the exercises that I do in my work is it's very powerful. Is I have people divide their paper into five columns. And on top of each column is the name of a uh, member of your community. There's the way showers, there's the true believers, there's the confidants, there's the messengers, and there's the naysayers. And I have them write down everybody who fits in those categories, including the naysayers. And then I say, while you are in this stretching zone, while you are, mm-hmm. while you are in the in the path of making your dream come true. I want you to look for ways to add to those support systems. And I want you to minimize, if not eliminate, the time you spent with your naysayers. And I know I've had to, I went for years when I first started not talking to my parents. And many, many times our parents are our biggest naysayers. But when you kind of um, minimize your contact with them, what happens is you become, you change, and they often change. My parents became my biggest fans, my biggest supporters. Which is very different to how it was when you were younger. And, and in, the, in the stories you'll read in the books, how many women have been able to do this with their husbands, with their spouses, with their partners. Because when you change, everything changes. I get it. Oh, I know you get it. (laughs) (laughs) I know, and and I really appreciate your giving me the time to spread my word, my message, because I just, I'm feeling very passionate about it, especially in today's economy. The time has never been better for us financial health in order. I, 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 it's definitely a wake-up call. And, um, and, and I, you know, when, when you talked earlier in the show about the women that, you know, um, in 2002 when you came back and interviewed them, and, yeah, business might have dropped, but they were, they were, they were looking. They weren't, they weren't sulking. They were looking. They were making, trying to make progress forward and what, find what different ideas. What they were doing is they weren't, like everybody all the under-earners are bemoaning the economy, mm-hmm. like there was something outside of them. Mm-hmm. They were bemoaning the, the economy, oh, this is a bad time, this is a bad time. The high earners looked at, where's the opportunity in this economy? Where's the opportunity? And for some, because they had savings, I, one woman in particular I remember, because she had been very wise about managing her money and had a good amount of savings, she could afford it. She was laid off, she took some time out, and she started interning. I mean, she was in her 50s. But she started interning in a venture capital firm because she was fascinated and always wanted to go into venture capital. So I say, if we can shift our thinking, because as Einstein said, you cannot solve a problem at the same level of thinking you were at when you created it. So if we shift our thinking, and instead of looking at how bad the economy is, look at for the opportunities this is presenting to us. And believe me, wow. there are opportunities. And no matter what the economy is doing, there will be people that are prospering. I guarantee it. I was just at the California Governor's um, and First Ladies Women's Conference. Oh, I heard that was amazing. It was fabulous. And Warren Buffett was there. And that was essentially what he said. You know, and, and what, did he, what did he say? He, well, he said that... Um, when there's in times of greed, be cautious, you know, when everybody's jumping on a bandwagon, but when people are pulling away, there are opportunities. So he said, you know, yes, the stock markets, maybe, he goes, I can't tell you what's going to do in a week, a, you know, a month, a year from now. But 
in the long term, it's going to be good. You know, investing in the U.S. stock market is where he thinks, you know, there's it's still important to do. But there are businesses and there are success and there are opportunities. So right now in this economic downturn, there are opportunities and it's about finding those opportunities. And the people who would succeed, men and women alike, will turn their focus from the bad news and the bad stuff and the bad, bad, bad and start looking for where is the opportunity for me? Where is the opportunity for me to make a difference, for me to help others, for me to grow myself and do what I love to do? And it's out of those conversations that the prosperity will come. So if you're sitting in a group of people complaining about the economy, get the hell out of there. <laughs> well, they're not going to be helping you. I, I was at after school pickup one day for my daughters. I have a six and eight year old and there are some women there and they're complaining about the economy. And I, and I looked at them and it was like, oh, wait a second. You guys have guaranteed jobs or, you know, you work for the state. I mean, right now you're not, you're where you are, your standing's not in any, um, position of being threatened but there but it's it's this constant feed that we're getting from the media i think has made people kind of start even people who you know their jobs aren't being affected because they're maybe a tenured professor or, or something like that but because of this information that's coming to them and they're letting this information hit them this way there's fear that's coming about it's almost like we're pumping fear into our veins yes yes Thank like, you. You know, you know what I imagine? You know what they have those IVs in the hospital? Mm-hmm. Every time we turn on the news and we read it. Now, I'm not saying ignore it. Mm-hmm. But I am saying don't let it feed you. It, there, it's because what the fear is doing is it's creating a panic out of proportion. Mm-hmm. There, you know, a, 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 there, there's a tsunami of fear that's taking even good companies with it. Mm-hmm. And, and if you can look past the fear. Get past the fear into your highest purpose, into what you want to do and be and have in your life. That's a whole different conversation. And for many people, they have grown up with fear as a strategy to motivate them. So they feed on it. Yes. I think there is just so much opportunity out there. There is so much opportunity. Well, and I think that's so important for people to hear that instead of, and that's that's really what your message is about, you know, whether it's having knowledge about your finances and your, what's, what's going on in your situation so you can make choices, knowing how to invest and really simplifying what needs to be done. This, this is a really good time to get your foundation solid. And the way you get your foundation solid is take the next three to six months and start learning about money. And I can give you three steps to do that really quickly. Okay. But learn about money. Surround yourself with support. Start looking for opportunities. And start growing yourself in your skills, in mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, so you're ready to take off when the opportunities come. So, take these next three months and learn about money. And I'm going to give you three steps because it doesn't take a lot of time to get smart. It's small steps consistently taken. This is what I did. This is what I everybody do. So if you do this for three months, every day read something about money, even if it's just the headlines of the business section of the paper, even if it's just for one minute, even if you're just standing at the checkout line, in the grocery store, you pick up Money Magazine instead of People and leaf through it. Because so much of getting smart or smarter is just familiarizing yourself with the jargon and the current trends. So every day, read something about money. Every week, have a conversation about money, especially with someone that knows more than you. I think we women, our secrecy and silence around money keeps us stuck. I mean, we, we'll moan about it and we'll co- groan about it and we'll complain about it. But when's the last time you sat down with a girlfriend over a glass of wine or a cup of tea and said, have you been investing lately? What have you been putting your money in? How did you get smart? What are you doing to learn? 
And one of a great thing that women are doing in terms of talking about money is they're forming, you know how women have so many book clubs? Mm-hmm. They are forming study groups and book clubs around finances. So if every day you read something, every week you have a conversation, and every month you save automatically, automatically have money transferred from your checking account or your payroll check to a savings account. And then when you get eight to ten months built up of a safety cushion, a nest egg, you can start investing, hopefully in your 401k or your Roth IRA, start investing in mutual funds, which you've been reading about and learning about. Every week talk, every day talk, every week, every day read, every week talk, every month save. You will be amazed what will happen in three to six months. And, and, and it's that whole concept of paying yourself first and realizing that it doesn't have to be start with a lot of money. You know, in fact, when I have, when I coach women and start them with savings, some savings. The, the mistake I see so many make is they try to do put too much into savings on a regular basis. It's like kind of dieting too severely. Mm-hmm. So what I prefer is like I started with my kids just doing automatic savings of $5 a month or $10. And what happens is savings becomes a habit. And if it's automatic, you don't miss what you don't see. And then as you get used to savings, and as you get more conscious, you can add a few dollars more and add a few dollars more and add a few dollars more until suddenly you've got $10,000 in savings. Suddenly you've got $20,000. Well, Barbara, I'd love to talk to you some more, but we're running out of time, so hopefully we can have you come back again because you're doing such wonderful work. Thank you. Thank you for coming on the show today. That I so enjoyed it. I did too. We've had Barbara Stani. She is the author of many books, and a couple that I have here are Prince Charming Isn't Coming, How Women Get Smart About Money, and Secrets of Six-Figure Women's Surprising Strategies to Up Your Earnings and Change Your Life. This is Karen Moticaitis, and thanks for listening to How She Really Does It at KDRT LP 95.7.